Blog Talk Radio. It is nice to be back on Blog Talk Radio right here from my office in Marietta, California. You know, uh, we've been on uh, AM radio for so long, I almost don't even know how to introduce with the Blog Talk, I tell you. Um, I spent a number of years on Blog Talk Radio uh, with Political Pistachio Radio, Constitution Radio, uh, uh, let's see, uh, uh Founding Truth Radio with Loki at one point, and now we have returned to Blog Talk Radio, at least for this one episode, Constitution Radio, because KMET, 1490 AM, is the current AM station that I am on, and uh, it, uh, they are having, well, football today, so we got uh, preempted by football, so I thought, well, you know what, it's right after the election, it's important to be uh, on the air have some type of podcast, so why not Blog Talk Radio? Now, I have the free account, so I only get half an hour of live footage, but we're going to still do an hour. So that second half hour of the hour program, you'll have to check out later on the podcast. For those of you listening live, when we get to the half hour mark, uh, understand you'll have to come back later for that second half hour. Those of you listening to the podcast, you get the full hour. Bam, boom, just like that. Have a guest in the chat room. We have uh, everything set up. I got my ads for... Our advertisers, All-Star, Wholesale Capital, and Constitution Quest downloaded. And I have a co-host on the air with me, Alex Ferguson. Alex, welcome to a different platform. How are you doing? I'm just fine. uh, I'm experiencing a whole new world here. Yeah, well, this is is online radio. And uh, I began online radio here at Blog Talk Radio back in February of 2007. And I was on Blog Talk Radio from 2000, February 2007 until about a little bit before I went to AM Radio there on August 6, 2011. So I spent a number of years on Blog Talk Radio. And if you go, and for those of you who are listening, if you go back to blogtalkradio.com slash political pistachio and you go back through the history, you can find the old program. So I was on every day of the week at one point. Uh, then when I went over to KCAA, and AM radio. Then I started doing a Constitution study radio program here on Blog Talk, and I went through the Constitution a couple times, and then uh, as my schedule got busier, I just didn't do any more with this account. But uh, here we are. We're back on Blog Talk radio, at least for today, uh, because of being preempted by football. We went ahead and took a break last Saturday, but this is post-election. we got to talk about this stuff. Got to get on the air. And you can call in and talk to us just like when we were on KMET 1490 AM, but it's a different phone number here at Blog Talk Radio. If you want to call in, chat, talk about uh, whatever we're talking about, or come up with your own thing, 657-383-0740, 657-383-0740. And uh, at about 20 after, I'm still going to play the three ads for our advertisers. It's only right. Uh, but uh, I tell you what, uh, first of all, Alex, were were you 
surprised, or did the election pretty much turn out how you expected, or did you expect him to win by a landslide? What was your feelings after Donald Trump won the presidency, the Electoral College, on Tuesday? Well, I, I've i been praying uh, more <laughs> yeah. and, and harder than I have ever prayed in my life. And right. I told myself, God is merciful, God answers prayers, and yet the reality mm-hmm. of the situation seemed to be that the with the deck stacked against him like it was with the media and uh, everybody and his brother condemning Trump, that there really wasn't that much of a chance. So when uh, the states started tumbling one after another, my heart just soared. It, as far as I'm concerned, if it had gone the other way, it would have been the end of human freedom. And that's one how of my uh, long, t- one of my long-time listeners uh, from my old blog talk radio show was in the chat room, Iggy Mom, and she says, "Oh my God, it's been years." Uh, yeah, it has been. Well, why don't you listen into the AM radio show, Iggy Mom? It's online too. But uh, we don't have a chat room on the online uh, on the AM radio show. But you ought to be listening on the AM. We're online now. You need to be listening to the AM radio show. That's what I'm trying to say. But yeah, it has been years. Now get back to what you were saying, Alex. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Most people out there kind of felt like you felt. So everything was stacked against him. There was there was no chance. So on and so forth. But the thing is. I called it. He was going to win. In fact, the only surprises I really had was I wasn't sure if he was going to get Wisconsin. I thought he might because of Scott Walker, and I didn't even have a clue that he might get Michigan. Now, I talked to people that I thought he might get New Hampshire. He might get Pennsylvania. He might get Oregon, um, and he might get Vermont, and I had my own reasons, but I didn't really predict those. So Pennsylvania kind of went beyond my prediction a little bit, and Michigan definitely did. Aside from that, they pretty much fell where I expected them to fall. Now, that said, uh, Canada Free Press, who I've been writing for since 2009, a gentleman from Canada Free Press named Mark Patron uh, interviewed me. And he, matter of fact, he put it on YouTube. So if you go, you go to my YouTube page, uh, I'm sorry, political show, I mean, to look it up, politicalpistachio.com, scroll down, you can find it. But um, I have to put another link somewhere also for it. But uh, I told him this. He interviewed me on Monday, and I told him, and I bet you if you look up Mark Patron, P-A-T-R-O-N-E, on his YouTube page, you'll probably find it too. But anyway, I told him the day before the election, Trump's going to win, but it's going to be fairly narrow. I don't think it's going to be tight, but it's not going to be a landslide per se. So I wasn't surprised because I knew that the media was manipulating. The question wasn't whether or not Trump would win. It was whether or not it would be by enough to overcome the fraud or the manipulation uh, or the corruption of the uh, polls, the ballot box that I thought might go on. Because I'm a firm believer myself. I'm a firm believer that Romney won the last election. We have another, We have a caller, but I'm going to hold on just a sec, because I want Alex to respond to that. Don't bring on the caller. Go ahead, Alex. Well, I'm saying that it sounds like an exaggeration, but the fact of the matter is that the Democratic Party, Democrat Party, 
is not the party of our parents and grandparents. This is a right. Marxist organization. They're sure. they're uh, fully fully uh, uh, open about it, and uh, there's no question that if Hillary had gotten the presidency, she would have put judges in charge of our Supreme Court that would have eliminated systematically the Bill of Rights. Uh, they call themselves democratic socialists, but you can't have that. That's squaring the circle. You can either be right. free or you can be equal, but you cannot be, in, uh, be free and equal. It's impossible. The founding fathers were brilliant enough to realize that the only equality that mattered, mattered was equality of opportunity. But these people don't see it that way. They, they want to see equality of result. And that means tyranny every time. Now, now uh, I'm going to pull the caller, and I know when you call in, it gives you a choice, I think, whether or not you want to just listen or, or if you want to come on the air. So if I do bring you on and you uh, were just intended to listen, let me know, and I'll put you back on hold. But uh, the 951 area code, which is out here in my neck of the woods, out here in uh, Riverside County uh, with a uh, – 956 prefix. Welcome to the program. Uh, good afternoon, Doug. This is Arvid. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. How are you doing? Great. I, I had a question. Um, since uh, Trump won the election, I was wondering what our what our next path is in supporting him and um, seeing that there's uh, violent protests and what's our what's our reaction as conservatives to uh, this, and how, how do we best support him? Well, uh, you know, it's first of all, uh, I, I think support is one word we can use. I think another word we can use is make sure that we hold his feet to the fire because he's an unknown. And uh, so, and when I say he's an unknown, uh, I'm, I'm, I hope everything he said he believes, and I think he does. It's like I tell people, his um, desire to protect his image, he's kind of a, a, you know, kind of a flamboyant, arrogant guy. He wants to protect his image, so I don't think he would renege on anything he said. But nonetheless, it's our responsibility, as with any president, to be involved. Now, that said, step one is good. We've got the Senate still. We've got the House still. They both lost seats, but we still have a majority. So in order to support our president, we have to make sure that we are not only in contact with that administration, but that we are in contact with our representatives and making sure that they are doing their job, proposing pieces of legislation that uh, he is recommending. If it's something that is uh, along the conservative ideals uh, and so on and so forth. That said, um, and <laughs> um, one of the things that I'm doing also through Congress of Racial Equality, is I'm going to be also spreading uh, constitutional literacy, not only in the classes that I already do down here in the Inland Empire, but in minority neighborhoods through the uh, Congress of Racial Equality. Um, now, we all, have, we all have our talents. We all have our abilities, be it uh, emails, be it phone calls, be it uh, tugging at the... Uh, at the reins on our representatives or preparing to replace those people with some decent people. Uh, one of our biggest problems is um, one of the things that's come up that I've been hearing a lot about is Trump has touted term limits. And I'm not so sure that's 
necessarily a good thing. I get it. I understand why everybody wants term limits. True term limits are supposed to be us. We're supposed to elect in the right people and throw out the knuckleheads. But even if you have term limits, if you're breeding cockroaches at the city level and at the state level, when you get rid of the cockroach in Washington, you're still going to replace, be replacing them with cockroaches, if you know what I mean. So the term limits means nothing. You're just replacing something bad with something bad. So I think uh, part of how we can support him and also plan for the future is also to start working locally and make sure we've got the right people locally. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks for the call. Um, we got someone else, but she's there just to listen. She told me, uh, uh, let me know in the chat room if you want me to pull you up at any time. Um, now, that said, there's something else. I want to talk about a constitutional issue here because I am the constitution guy. So I want to talk about a constitutional issue here. I don't know if you've heard about this, Alex. The left is pushing for the electors to change their votes to Hillary. Have you heard that? No. Okay, because here's the thing. The electoral college, the electors that are picked, they're they're like delegates. 99% of the time, historically, they vote the way their state did. However, they do have the ability to alter their vote. The reason why the founders – I'm sorry? After the fact? Hang on. Let let me me, uh, uh, change over because I'm getting an echo there. There we go. Um, we've already had a certified election, right? You mean, you mean they can go back? And, yeah, and we've already had a certified vote? election. Here's what happens. The, the electors, though, haven't actually cast their vote. We didn't vote for president. We voted for our electors. Then the electors get together next month in their conference and actually officially cast their votes. So the Electoral College hasn't actually met yet. Now, the reason why the Founding Fathers did it that way was the electors are supposed to be trusted, politically savvy members of our communities, states, districts, whatever. And they're supposed to be be politically savvy enough and constitutionally minded enough. Of course, that's a laugher today, but hear me out, that if something dangerous happens – if a, um, let's say, a Hitler type was elected, those electors, you know, because the people could, can make mistakes. They're not as politically savvy. They're not as informed. If that was the attitude. Then the electors could change that vote to protect us from that kind of tyranny. Now, that said, you have an entire liberal left uh, hive mentality that believes that Trump is exactly that kind of person. I don't think so, but there's a lot of people out there that do. And so there's petitions going on right now urging the electors to change their vote to Hillary to save the country from the tyrannical, authoritarian, racist, sexist, homophobic, Islamophobic, xenophobic Donald J. Trump. Now, I don't think it's going to go anywhere. I don't think uh, the, uh, the electors are that stupid. I don't think that the left is that stupid. It, uh, 
They think there's violence in the streets being caused by the liberals right now. Imagine what would happen if after Trump winning the uh, electoral votes in election, that happened. Imagine what would happen in the streets. My nightmares have Not returned. Oh yeah. Well, don't don't have nightmares. This is a, a to, this in my opinion, this news. is a slim chance. Is a slim chance, but it is there. That person, that possibility is there. Well, see, I don't. I'm I'm not in a position to put anything past the left. And given mm-hmm. this kind of a crack in the in the surface of the of the state, they like any parasites. They're going to wiggle into that crack and split it open. Uh, or at least no, I don't try. put anything past. I don't. I don't put anything past the left. And you can go back to Karl Marx's quote that you know a peace comes when there's no opposi- when there's no opposition to socialism. I mean, the idea is to silence the opposition, to destroy the opposition, and make it a one-party state. That's what the left does. That's what they're trying to do. They accuse the other side of doing that, but it's really them that does that. Well, they're they're the the world's greatest hypocrites. The question is, what's the date that this could or could not happen? I believe it's December 19th. I can't remember the exact date when they're meeting. I I believe it's that date. Um, I'm not – I don't have it up on my system right now. But uh, if you want to look it up, folks, you can look it up. What date date does the Electoral College meet? But um, the, the, the thing is, here's something else that's interesting. Uh, Prager University, you know what Dennis Prager is, right? Oh, sure. Okay. He has a video out there about why do we even need electoral college? Because the left right now, they're screaming, hey, she won the popular vote. What gives here? Not by much, but she did. Popular vote. For that matter. Yeah, hey, you know what gives? What about the world of the people? What about what the people want? Well, first of all, the reason why she won the popular vote was not because the nation overwhelmingly wants her, but because of two particular states, New York and California. Second, so do you really, so first of all, do you really want your presidency decided by those two states and that's it and everybody else's vote is a minor deal? Number two, the electoral system creates more than just uh, a, a more of a fair voice for the rural states, it also, well, matter of fact, on political stashio, I wrote about it this morning, by the way, just to give you, for those of you who want to check into this, uh, we can, uh, you can look it up on my website, but uh, the political, the political, the electoral college, the reason why we have that system, what it creates is a more well-rounded system, actually, that is even better. Um, here's what I mean. Let me, um, you know, I haven't, I haven't put it on my website yet. I'm sorry. I have written it's about it. It's part of the system of checks yet. and balances, right? Well, that's a part of it, but I, I want to pull this up because I want to, I want to word it the way I wrote it. Um, and it, it's supposed to post at the end of this program. Um, all right, here's what I wrote. Electoral college protects us from the excesses of democracy. While the political pundits, politicians, the mainstream media, talking heads constantly refer to the United States as being a democracy uh, we are a republic. Uh, let me go down a little bit. Um, we, are a, we are a system of checks and balances in our republic. The voice of the states and the people through their states is a critical part of ensuring our American system operates properly. 
if you uh, were to eliminate the uh, electoral college, go to a national popular vote system, states like New Hampshire, Ohio, or Iowa, I mean, would no longer be important. The candidates would simply try and convince the people of New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, Houston, and Philadelphia to vote for them in such a system. Nobody else's votes would really matter. And then um, uh, Prager adds in his video, and I put some of this down in the post and, and attributed it to him, the founders had no intention of creating a pure majority rule democracy. They knew from careful study of history that most have forgotten today or never learned. Pure democracies do not work. They implode. Democracy has been colorfully described as two wolves and a lamb voting on what's for dinner. In a pure democracy, bare majorities can easily tyrannize the rest of the country. The founders wanted to avoid this at all costs. Then later on, the video points this out. The system encourages, and this is where it's interesting, coalition building and national campaigning. Because, see, the other states are important. All the small states are important, too. So, they, so it becomes this coalition building national campaigning. In order to win, a candidate must have the support of many different types of voters from various parts of the country. Winning only the South or the Midwest is not good enough. You cannot win 270 electoral votes if only one part of the country is supporting you. But if winning were only about getting the most states, a candidate might concentrate all of his efforts in the biggest cities or the biggest states. Why would that candidate care about the people in West Virginia, Iowa, Montana? So and then what I wrote at the end there is the Electoral College is a large part of what makes this country exceptional, unique, and a republic. It is imperative that we protect the Electoral College and ensure that we do all we can to return to the original intent of the U.S. Constitution. So that's more or less it. It's more than – and people go, well, gosh, it seems unfair because, you know, the popular vote. Well, first of all, once again, democracy or democracy is dangerous. Second of all, part of being a republic is that the states have a voice and that we have a, state to, a voice through our states. But these smaller states have to be protected against the more populated states overrunning them. The Electoral College allows these rural states, these smaller states, to have more of a voice. Now, honestly, be honest with you, the original idea here, when the Electoral College was, was originally um, created, and the left uh, thinks that you know this is horrible, is it was actually largely inspired by the fact that we had slavery in the country. Now, I, I know the left right now, see, see, slavery. Well, hang on a second. It was like any other compromise, numbers. They didn't want the slave states dominating over the, nor, the non-slave states, the non-slave states dominating over the slave states. The Electoral College created a system in which those less populated slave states still had enough voice that they didn't get overrun. Now, you can equate that to slave states. You can equate that out to rural states of today. But nonetheless, the reason why it was created the way it was was to make sure everybody has a voice not just the big cities, not just the most populated states. Comments? My comment is, is the same as my first comment, and that is that I feel like my nightmares have returned. Because uh, there's a chance or a possibility of... Yeah, well, you know, that's... Traditionally, the electors have always voted in, in line with how their state voted. There is the occasional exceptions in the past where one has switched their vote. 
Um, there's also two states that do it a little differently, Maine and Nebraska. They, split, they, you, they can split their electoral votes, and in this case, Maine did. One electoral vote went to Trump, three went to, to Hillary Clinton. But uh, once again, your nightmare, don't worry about the nightmares. I don't think it's going to happen. Now, I'm getting ready to say something on the air that I wasn't going to say, and I really am not going to make this too public, just my listeners. If you're listening, you were willing to come over to Blog Talk Radio to hear me on the air, you're in for a treat because this is something I'm not even going to put on my website yet. Only the listeners of the show, handful of people in my classes and my closest confidants really know about this, and that's this. I am now a part of the Congress of Racial Equality. CORE is attempting to become the conservative alternative to the NAACP. They have hired me starting in February to start putting constitution classes in minority neighborhoods. Now, I already teach constitution classes of my own in Corona, Lake Elsinore, Temecula, and Banning here in the Inland Empire in Southern California. Word got out to CORE that I did this. And they were wanting to do something similar in minority neighborhoods, so they found me, got a hold of me, and have hired me to coordinate putting the, uh, classes in these minority neighborhoods. Now, the chairman, the national chairman of CORE, is a gentleman by the name of Roy Ennis. Roy Ennis's son is Niger Ennis, and he is the national spokesman for this organ for CORE. As the national spokesman. He is our big dog, our big voice when it comes to um, national recognition. Um, now, that said, Niger Ennis is also, it so happens to be, a part of the Donald J. Trump transition team. And Mr. Ennis has talked to Mr. Trump about yours truly. So, myself and two other core representatives in December are scheduled to go out and meet Mr. Trump and his team. And I am excited about the opportunity. Don't know the exact date yet. Don't know any of the details yet. Right now, this is just in, hey, this is going to happen. Be ready for it kind of mode. That is exciting. Now, that said, I'm going to bring on another caller. That's it. It's something else. You know, I get on Blog Talk Radio, I get more, a lot more callers than AM radio. Have you noticed that, Alex? Yeah, I'm kind of astonished. Yeah, well, these Blog Talk Radio listeners, uh, number one, uh, they tend to be more involved, more vocal, and also for a lot of these, they, they used to follow my show. So it's like uh, Iggy Mom, you know, got into the chat room, hey, I haven't seen you in years. Welcome back. All right, 314 area code, you are on the air. Welcome to the show. Yeah, how you doing? It's this is, my name is Pianchi. I'm calling from the Midwest, actually the St. Louis area. But you know, oh, you okay. made mention Welcome to the program. of your your invitation about core. And I think that is very good. There needs to be alternative thinking amongst African American population, black population, other than that which comes out of the NAACP and also the Urban League. Well you and, know, Pianchi, here's something well, here's something real quick, if you don't mind something that real, really um, fascinated me. I went to an NAACP meeting uh, about three weeks ago. A friend of mine is actually vice president of the local chapter. And the president of the local chapter has seen me speak on the Constitution, was impressed, so 
and he's actually asked me to come speak to his group. I'm going to be speaking to that group uh, sometime in, in uh, January or February. But, um, but he, here's what's fascinating. After I was there and I said a few words and I got to talking to the people, although most of them were hardcore Obama supporters, Demo- De- Democratic Party supporters, when I started talking to them about just basic issues, limited government, whether or not they want big government sticking its nose in their lives, uh, the social issues, um, con- uh, fiscal issues, it turns out they're, for the most part, voting against what they believe. And I found that fascinating. Yeah, they do. What's your thought? And uh, you talking about Constitution. I carry a, a big stack of Constitution, copies of the Constitution, which I hand out. I have taken them to classrooms and given them out to right. groups because I feel that, you know, people uh, in in the community that I am, that's African-American communities, don't know the Constitution. If you listen to some of the con- uh, conversation that goes on with uh, groups uh, that uh, represent them, supposedly, quote, unquote, like when they talk about uh, that they was considered uh, three-fifths human, then when they say that the Congress has to vote every 20 years to whether or not to see if you can continue to vote, well, you know right you know, then I'm and gonna, there. I'm, I'm going to answer those questions, as a matter of fact. Uh, I have a black uh, uh, visitor to my Tuesday Constitution class who asked me that same exact question. I'm going to answer that, but let me warn the listeners right now. Our live part of this program ends in 24 seconds. So if you're listening and you want to hear the answers, either check out the podcast later or call right now, 657-383-0740. If you've called in, you can hear the next half hour. If you don't, Doug, uh, my feed is going to end. Doug, can, can we uh, get this guy on our regular show next week? Uh, well, that depends. We might be um, preempted by football. It depends on if Redlands wins today. If they win, okay, they make the, the one after that. I'd like to hear what this guy has to say. Uh, I, I think I think it's uh, it's exactly what we're looking for. Yeah. Well, here, well here's the thing. I want to I, I want to answer what, what he just said because it's very fascinating stuff. Number one, the three fifths clause had nothing to do with whether or not they considered uh, slaves three fifths of a person. What it was all about numbers. And what it was is three-fifths of the whole population, not per person. Three-fifths of the whole population would be counted towards uh, the census for the purpose of deciding how many um, members of the House that state would get and, by, and to determine what portion of the Electoral College they got and to determine how much of the federal budget percentage-wise they would be paying. So it was all about numbers and keeping things as even as possible. So first of all, the the idea that that it was a um, a claim that uh, the slaves were only worth three fifths a person is a false claim. It was all about numbers. Secondly, that every twenty years you're talking about the the uh, uh, the, the Voter Rights Act. The, Vo- the Voter Rights Act, which uh, in sixty I think it's sixty seven appeared right after right to the tail end of the, uh, the civil rights movement. And what it, the way it was written, what it says is that the southern states are not allowed to change their method of election without permission from Congress. Because, see, in the Constitution, in the Constitution, it's up to the states to determine the manner and procedures on how an election is held. And the problem was, after during the Reconstruction period and for the next hundred years, for that matter, 
with poll taxes and things like that, the uh, southern states were playing all kinds of games to suppress the black vote. So the Voting Rights Act was put into place to force the southern states to check with Congress first before making any changes. That does not mean that you can't vote if, if it doesn't get approved in 20 years. First of all, the 15th Amendment gives, uh, gives minorities a right to vote. It says in the 15th Amendment that, you're, that you have the right to vote regardless of, of color. Uh, 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 see, color, uh, uh, I can't remember the exact words off the top of my head. I don't have it in front of me. Race, but color, color or, previous or, 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 conditions or, of servitude. Or previous condition of servitude, right. Now, Absolutely. So you're, you're going to vote no matter what, okay, because of the 15th Amendment. But now, get back to this uh, Voting Rights Act. Well, then why the 20-year thing? Why does it expire over 20 years and has to be renewed? And, and uh, the, the liberal black crowd tells me, well, that's because they, they want to get rid of it and, and, and give it away to take away the black vote. No. The reason why it expires over 20 years is actually is a reason of hope. They're hoping after 20 years it won't be necessary anymore, and it'll expire, and you, know, you and need to no talk, need for it. You need to explain about – you hear this thing that say that we still slaves and all – no, prison is not slavery. Prison is involuntary servitude, which is also authorized under the 13th Amendment. In Section 2, of the, that's right. Section 1. Section 2 of the, the 13th Amendment, and this section usually follows nearly all amendments, where it says that Congress should have the power to enforce this article by appropriate mm-hmm. legisl- legislation. And right. an example of appropriate legislation is the Civil Rights Act. Not only the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the one in 1957, the one in 1866, you have had numerous Civil Rights Acts. Like you mentioned about the 15th Amendment, black males had the right to vote before white women did. But the thing is, is that they were not being enforced in many states, municipalities, and counties. That's what brought about the Voters' Rights Act in 1965. Caller, do you have our phone number for our AM station? No, I don't. All right, uh, have you have you listened to me on AM radio before? No, I haven't. Yankee? Um, okay, no. because I used to political pistachio radio, and you can ask Iggy Mom. I used to be one of the <laughs> big ones here, uh, but I, I I was doing well enough. I decided to take the next step and go to AM radio back in 2011. But uh, take the information down, all of you who are listening. If you really enjoy this, I want you to listen to my AM radio station, and I want you guys calling in. Uh, to pay us a visit on that AM radio station. I don't have the number, phone number. You'll have to look it up later, but um, unless you've got it handy, Alex, but uh, what you probably do, no, but the, uh, call, the, the call letters, how to listen to my program on AM radio, if you do not get, thank you, Iggy Mom. Iggy Mom says Doug and Loki were giants on Blog Talk, and we actually did a show together too, Loki and I. But uh, to listen to my program on AM radio, you go to, K M E T fourteen ninety AM dot com on Saturdays at one o'clock. I also have another show at eight AM, which is uh, sponsored by a Tea Party group, and I'm the host. But uh, my Constitution Radio show is K M E T fourteen ninety AM dot com Saturdays at one o'clock. It just so happened last Saturday and this Saturday I'm preempted by football. And like I said, if Redlands, if the University of Redlands wins. 
they go to the playoffs, and I'm preempted again next week, and I might even just be back here. Now, what I did with this uh, particular page, if you want to go back to older episodes, is after I moved to AM radio, I went through the Constitution a couple times. So there's actually a podcast of me just going through the Constitution, doing a podcast Constitution class, and you can check those out as well. Um, Call it and, what's uh, your name? And Iggy Mom, real quick, Iggy makes Mom. a comment in the chat. My name is uh, uh, Pianchi. Pianchi. I'm in the chat room. Yeah, yeah. I haven't put anything in there yet. But, uh. well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I see in there. Iggy Mom, she uh, also says, real quick, the original 13th Amendment needs to be restored. Uh, yes, Iggy Mom, I agree. But uh, that's for another uh, program. Okay, Pianchi. Uh, Alex, do you have the phone number for the KMET program, if he wants to call in to talk to us? you have it handy by any chance? If you don't, I'll look it up real quick. But if you don't... Well, I can look it up also. Well, unless you guys got it. 14.90 a.m. Saturday, 1 p.m. Yeah. Yeah, I never never call into my show, so so I don't know it by heart. But no, uh, that would be Um, a great thing for you to do if you do have opportunity to start uh, teaching or explaining the Constitution to groups. And what would be even better if you had... if you had opportunity to teach but, the Confederate papers and the anti-Confederate papers also. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the thing is, um, uh, here's the thing. In our culture, we have stopped teaching this stuff. That's why it's been forgotten. Plus, the other side is just hammering away and hammering away. And uh, it's important for us to hand this information down to our posterity because the, everybody, the left wants to key in on and when it comes to Constitution, in those first seven articles, the compromises that they felt they needed to make because of slavery. Those, co- those compromises were to try to make sure those states still signed on to the Constitution. And right now, I'm here to tell you, first of all, majority of the people in that convention did not own slaves. Some of them that did, like Thomas Jefferson, he inherited them, and because of the way the laws are written, he couldn't free them. He couldn't afford it. He was an abolitionist. He has multiple, multiple, multiple letters to France and other people uh, where he talks about how he believes in the abolition of slavery. All right? So that, that's, well, you that's know, important uh, for us to – You yes, know, there was uh, seven, cl- seven slave clauses in the U.S. Constitution before the 14th Amendment, and I mm-hmm. know of a person who argued the 14th – he denied the 14th Amendment and brought back – the legitimacy of those four, those seven clauses in a court of law against paying wow. income taxes, and he won. He worked at GM. GM stopped levying his payroll tax because of uh, the court wouldn't even argue against him. Couldn't get anybody to come argue against him. But I'm gonna say one one other thing too. What's not taught is that even during he started in the 1600s. Through the 1700s, even to the 1800s, you had African Americans in this country, blacks in this country, that was doing big time businesses. Now, was there a great mm-hmm. number? I can say this: the percentage of those were at that time was greater than the percentages are compared to the population today. They was doing businesses. You had one that was even providing uh, components for gunpowder to both sides of the Civil War. You know, sure. Well, you, you, you can. <laughs> You can uh, look at that look at that famous painting of of Washington crossing the Delaware, and the two individuals in the front of the boat 
are black. And the thing, and, and the f- first response is, oh, well, they must have been so enslaved. No, they were soldiers in the revolu- the, in the Continental Army. Washington used to dine at a black restaurant. <laughs> I bet you didn't know that, did you? Now that's a new one. No, I didn't. I didn't know that one. But you know, like, and, you know, and, then, and then you could go, and then you can go back to Antonio Johnson. I don't know if you're familiar with Antonio Johnson. He is the first slave owner yeah. in the colonies uh, that is on record because he sued basically to keep his servants. He, he was a black man. He owned he owned a, a, a couple of black slaves and a white white slave. Blacks blacks business people that they was working for them they had slaves. Now some of them paid yeah. well, for their well, slave paid their slaves and some of them worked the system as it was. I mean yeah, you know we have to start is, looking at the human nature of things which is the reality like you just now mentioning. So yeah. uh, the, well, the, the reality it, is evil exists. Evil exists and it happens. And and think about what America did to get rid of that evil. We literally killed over 600,000 of our own to eliminate that. Think about P-I-K, it. Yeah, how do I spell your name? It's P-I-A-N-K-I. And then you had the 14th Amendment, which came on the heels of the Dred Scott decision, where they tried to correct those things. Now, the thing is with the 14th Amendment, you can't go back into history and pass – you can't go back into history and correct things that was done before that the present date. 14th Amendment right. applied from people that were born from the time it passed, I think it was in 1879, forward. So those who were born at that time when the 14th Amendment was ratified, it couldn't apply to them. They had to die out. It was ratified and in 1868, exactly but – 1860. And here's the thing about the 14th Amendment, too. There's a lot of things that are believed it says or does that are not necessarily true either. For example, uh, incorporation of the Bill of Rights to the states. Um, and this is a, a topic we've got to get into in another time because we won't have the time to go through it. Uh, the person who wrote the, uh, the, the due, due Process Clause and the Equal uh, uh, Protection Clause, his name was Bingham. And uh, John Bingham from uh, Ohio, and he was a progressive. And and but what he wrote and what he intended, if you look at, back at the uh, uh, the college, um, the the, the uh, what would they call it? The um, uh, it was a congressional record of uh, congressional globe, I think is what it was called. The, the yeah, they, record yeah, the, the congressional record of well, the well, globe, well, right? Yeah, yeah. And what you'll learn is that. Congress rejected his idea, and so they and so first of all they proposed it, with the understanding that it did not incorporate the Bill of Rights of the states. Then each of the states that ratified it ratified it with that same understanding. Since the the progressives were defeated in that manner, they then proceeded to start doing it through the courts. The slaughterhouse cases being the first one where they began to incorporate the Bill of Rights of the states. Now here's what I mean by that, real quick. Uh, the Bill of Rights was written to only apply to the federal government. That does not mean that the states can stomp on your rights. That means that it was specifically written to tell the federal government, hands off our rights. States have their state constitutions. You also don't want the Bill of Rights applied to the states because then the federal government becomes the enforcer, and you don't want them to do that. And I'll give you an example. Uh, McDonald v. Chicago, this was, I don't know, uh, five, four or five years ago. McDonald v. Chicago case, that was a case where Chicago had banned handguns. It got all the way up to the Supreme Court. 
The Supreme Court said that Chicago could not ban handguns because of the Second Amendment. They applied the Second Amendment to the state, or in that case, the city. And I had people, you know, contact me and say, "Hey, it's a win for it's a win for gun rights." I said, "Don't be so sure. A federal court, the Supreme Court, just dictated to a city what it can or can't do regarding gun rights. That's a loss. We don't want them to be the controllers of our rights because." If they are, then they can go do something and go back to something like the Heller case, overturn it, and reestablish gun rights as instead of being an individual right, as being a collective right. And you're and because they have the precedent of Chicago, uh, of, of McDonald v. Chicago, where the federal government was allowed to dictate to a city, they now will use that precedent to dictate our gun rights. So we have to be very careful, and we have to understand. The original intent was the way it was for a reason, and we have to make sure that we defend it in such way. Well, I tell you, if you look at the gun rights, I'm sorry, the gun restrictions in Chicago, they're very archaic and just crazy. If you got a gun at the house, you got to have it disassembled. If you got ammunition in your pocket on the street, you got to have a gun at home, which has been 